0: Welcome to the Get Emergent Podcast. On our Driving Leadership episodes, you'll witness conversations with leaders from all walks of life and learn about what drives them to lead. You'll hear about their leadership development, current challenges that face them, and their organizations, and stories about leadership. I'm Bill Berthel, and my desire to demystify leadership and have real conversation with leaders is what drives me. Joining me today is Kelly Hester. Kelly, welcome.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity to be here.
0: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Kelly is the head coach at Clemson University for the women's golf team. Kelly, go Tigers.
1: (laughs) Go Tigers.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're in Syracuse country, right? But uh, we're all orange. So we're uh, proud to be orange today. Kelly, thanks for joining us. I want to share a little piece off your bio because it's crazy impressive to me. And I hope you share through your stories about so many of your accomplishments, but I love this passage. It says, nothing documents your success more than the fact that you are the only coach in the NCAA division one history to take four different programs to the NCAA national tournament and record at least one top 20 finish at four different schools. That must be crazy cool to have on your bio. Tell us a little bit about what got you into coaching.
1: Well, I have been blessed with multiple wonderful opportunities in coaching. So for that, I'm certainly appreciative. And I probably, like a lot of athletes, intended to have a professional golf career. And my college coach, her name was Beans Kelly. I played at the University of Georgia. And she would consistently pour into me that that she felt like I was cut out for coaching. And I felt like as a coach, that was a really nice way of saying, I'm not sure professional golf is going to be your best bet, but nonetheless, I did give it an opportunity to play and, and would not substitute that opportunity for anything, but it did help me understand what it would take to be successful at a really high level. And most of the girls that I've coached along the way do come into college dreaming of playing professional golf. So we certainly want to try to feed that as much as we can and help them understand what it's going to take along the way.
0: At Emergent, we are coaches as well, while our focus is on executive leadership. I know that you and I share a love for the development of people. Talk to me about that part of coaching.
1: Well, I think that, you know, I coach golf, but really I coach people, and golf is just the vehicle through which I work with people. And so as a college coach, you really have the opportunity to meet kids when they're like 14, 15, 16, Hmm. develop relationships with them. You get to know them and their families. And then you kind of guide them through the journey of college, which is, you know, 18 to 22. In my opinion, it's when a person goes from being who they think they want to be to actually getting closer to becoming that person and not just doing what their parents have sort of encouraged them to do or they start to develop their own sense of belief. And, you know, that's a really cool process to be a part of, you know, I usually have eight to 10 girls on my golf team. So it's a very small group and you do get to know them intimately. I'm not sure I would love coaching a really big team. You know, we get to spend a lot of one-on-one time with our kids and, you know, golf is a lot like life. I tell kids all the time, like life isn't fair. Golf isn't fair. Things happen. You know, I think COVID has probably taught all of us a lot of the fact that, you know, life isn't fair. And ironically, people have played a lot more golf through COVID because they have more time than traditionally they've had, but
0: and you get outside, right? Yeah, and you get, and out, you get outside. outside. Things are a little safer, yeah.
1: That's right. So, um, I think that you know, it's just a wonderful opportunity to help guide young women through that time in their life from going to where they really want to be and and helping them kind of figure some of that out.
0: Yeah, you really view it as a transformational phase in their life, don't you? It, it, I love how you put it. They're going from in that phase of their life from who they think they are or want to be to at least the beginning of who they are. What, a, right. what an amazing transformation.
1: Yeah, I, well, and, you know, transformational leadership is a real buzzword, at least in college athletics, sure. you know, typically... You think of transactional relationships, you know, like you produce, you know, I play you more, you get better, you know, and that it's all based on results. But in my opinion, that's just not how it works. At least in my opinion, with women, the better they feel about themselves and where they are and what they're doing, the better they're going to perform and transactional coaching. You do this for me and I'll do this for you. Like to me, it just doesn't work for today's female athlete.
0: Love it. We're so philosophically aligned. We bring the same piece into leadership in organizations. It really is about the holistic person. It's about that transformational opportunity. Love that. So share a unique story about your experience as a coach, as a leader. You've got so many, and I can't wait to hear which you pick to share with our, our listeners, but a unique story that just stands out for you.
1: I'll hit on a little bit of adversity. My coaching career was kind of like a, you know, a mountaintop experience, like just everything was going really well. I started a program at UNLV as the head coach, and then I was recruited to come to Arkansas and coach there and there. I was fortunate enough to coach a national champion Mm -hmm. and everything's just, you know, going up in my 20s and 30s. My career was just skyrocketing. And when I coached Stacey Lewis, who was a national champion at Arkansas in her junior year, I had the opportunity to then go to the University of Georgia, my alma mater, and be right. the head coach there. And so that was really always my goal. That was, I saw that as a destination job. My husband and I are both from Georgia. This is where I can end my career. You know, I'm 34 years old, which is my Herschel Walker year. For those of you that are football fans, 34 years old, head coach at Georgia. This is where I've always wanted to be, Yes. and for the five years that I was there, it was a constant struggle. My team saw a lot of success. We were never ranked outside the top 20, but we had an athletic director change, so a change in leadership, and for whatever reason, I just wasn't the new AD's person, and so I dealt with the first major adversity of my life in my fifth year there at Georgia, and I go from being, you know, like one of the hottest coaches in our sport to, you know, oh, my gosh, what happened? Like, what did you do? And I, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't have any violations. I I was never even really given a reason other than that the AD there at, at the time felt like who was not the AD who had hired me. So a lot of times there's some turnover when there's a new athletic director. He just said he didn't believe that I was the best one for the job. And so handling that kind of adversity was a shock to my system. And so I've really tried to use that because until you've really worked through a situation like that, I think it's hard to help other people experiencing pretty major adversity. So for a lot of my players, they've not really dealt with much adversity until they get to college. And maybe it's the hardest thing that they've handled or, or with COVID, a lot of things you know were kind of taken away. Our sports seasons were taken away, opportunities that we had probably taken for granted all of a sudden weren't there, and some budgeting things in the world, you know, a lot of people were affected financially by COVID as well. So anyway, the long story short, I had a new job within the week. Furman called, and I was able to step into another golf program and be a head coach and we rapidly got better. And then, you know, four years later, I'm the head coach at Clemson and able to kind of coach again at a high level and be back where I felt like I would be. But it was a real shock to my system to deal with adversity in a way that I had not seen in my life. And that was hard, but I didn't want that to be the end of my story. I was you know, still in my 30s, and so definitely too young to retire from coaching, and it made me really sort of evaluate why it is that I want to coach and what yeah. I love about it, and all of a sudden, you take away all the stuff of big-time Division One college athletics, That's and you go to a small Division One school that is academically focused, and it made me realize that it's the kids that I love, uh. and the building a program, and helping those kids get better, and it was much clearer to me when you stripped away a lot of the glitz and glamour of big-time Division I college athletics to see that. And another thing that I've learned along the way is that oftentimes we go through situations and we don't understand until we get to the other side what it was that we needed to learn in the process. So fast forward a few years and my Clemson team gets sent to a, an NCAA regional In Athens at the University of Georgia, at my alma mater, where my contract wasn't renewed. And we're a 10 seed, the top six move through. UGA is a two seed. Obviously, they're favored to make it as a 10 seed. We were not. And our young Clemson program was only in their fourth year. And these kids rally around their coach, knowing that it was a highly emotional, Mm -hmm. you know, situation for me. And we make it through and the Georgia team doesn't, and it's kind of a big story for that moment in time in college golf and a little bit of a redemption piece for me, but at the same time, what I learned through that process was oftentimes we go through these situations, and we just don't get why we're there or what we're doing until we're rewarded by getting to the other side of it, and those student athletes were able to help me work through that, and it was just a really proud moment. Clemson Women's Golf's first NCAA final. And where it happened was just a, a really cool story for me.
0: You know, In hindsight, we see the resilience, the persistence, and the adaptability in that space, right? That had to feel good for you and your team.
1: It really did. And for me, it, it helped validate why I do what I do. And those kids were just so excited. We were all in tears together. That's awesome. And just a really
0: neat story. So your shift was perhaps less about the environment and your own personal aspirations, but you then took a shift to serve those kids, the students on your team. It sounds like that was really key for you overcoming that adversity.
1: Yeah, I think so. I've always, when asked in a job interview or whatnot, what's your leadership model? And I would always describe it as being a servant leader. Mm. And I've never wanted to ask my players to do anything that I wasn't willing to get down in the dirt and do with them. Tony Dungy is one of the people in sport that I enjoy reading about and how he served his players. He was maybe one of the first that I remember learning about servant leadership from, but all the stuff that goes along with what we do is nice. And, but sometimes it can distract you from Mm. what we really want to do and why we're there to do it. And at the end of the day, I needed those kids at Furman just as much as they needed me, but it was a hard move. It was a little bit of a shock to the ego, but we ended up getting good very quickly and made it back to the national championship. Furman was traditionally a storied golf program. Beth Daniel and Betsy King and Dottie Pepper, some LPGA Hall of Famers came out of little old Furman and their women's golf program, but that was years ago. And so the program had kind of fallen back a little bit. And so I had the opportunity to rebuild that and it took all of my energy to do so. So I wasn't able to just lick my wounds and mope around and woe is me. And I lost my opportunity at Georgia. It was like, look, I've got this big obstacle in front of me and I need to really focus my energy on it. And, and it was fun. It was fun again. And so, like I said, I, I think I needed them as much as they needed me.
0: Uh, And I love that you brought the fun factor into leadership and into your work, right? It's think sometimes we do get a little too caught up in the results or the achievements or the objectives that we have, uh, no matter who or what we're leading, but let's have some fun while we're doing it. Let's enjoy the people and enjoy ourselves, right? I think we deserve that. It's really cool to hear. So talk to me a little bit more about challenges going on currently. COVID, I can't imagine being in college, being in a college sports program, or even the the high school kids missing out on a year's worth of sports program or more. That's gotta be a challenge. What, what else is going on for you and your leadership?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I think that today's young adult is a unique breed of kid. Like they have access to so much information. Mm. We confuse how smart they are with being mature. And at the end of the day, in my opinion, while they do have access to a lot of information, that doesn't equal social maturity. And a lot of these kids, especially in our sports, some of them have been homeschooled. A lot of them haven't been on teams before, yeah. you know, traditionally years ago, most of the golfers came from just athletes that had played basketball or softball or ran track or whatever else. And they just also played golf. Oh, interesting. And in recent years, it's become more focused and kids In general, are specializing very early, whether it's golf or tennis or basketball or soccer or whatever, because we as parents want to vicariously live through our kids and see how great they can become and help them meet their potential. And sure, you know, and so I'm not real sure that kids get to be kids that much anymore. Mm. And there's a lot that you learn on a playground, right, or playing on a team. And absolutely, so we're teaching a lot of that once they get to college and. I think future employers should thank us for doing so. And I think that's why a lot of people in industry like to look to college athletics for potential employees because they have been on teams and they they have had to work through relationships with people, but they've also needed to compete. And at the end of the day, it's a lot on these kids. Sure. And I think that, you know, they have access to what's happened across the world, if it's an mm-hmm. act of terrorism or whatever, like you or I wouldn't have known about that until, I don't know, a couple of days later, if we even knew about it at all.
0: That's right. If we bothered and, to read the newspaper.
1: <laughs> right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Or watch the news or, you know, whatever. But I just feel like they're constantly being bombarded with information. And right. so one of the biggest challenges of working with kids today is teaching them to block out a lot of what's not necessary, let in what is necessary, and be very intentional in focusing on what you're doing at one time. So the game of golf requires, in my opinion, a lot of focus in spurts of time. So you might be on the golf course for four hours, but you're actually only hitting golf shots for like 20 minutes. If you were to figure out the length of time that it actually takes you to hit those shots. So you know, for a lot of those kids, they put their phone away for those four hours and it's like they're in their element and they're not being bothered by, I think kids love their phones and they love their access to information, but I think they also love the periods of time that they're not allowed to have it. And so I've tried to teach mine, you know, you don't always have to have it when you're away from the golf course, I and mean, that requires some self-discipline, but today's kid, you know, they're used to getting everything just the way they want. Like they go to Chipotle or wherever, and they can point out like, I want that. And I want that. And I want that. and I want that. Well, that didn't exist when I was growing up. Like you got what you got and you picked off what you didn't want. You didn't complain and you just ate it. But these kids are like, they've been so tailored to, and it's very hard for them to handle things when they're not just a certain way. So trying to create an environment that's safe, but allows them to handle change and adversity, I think is a large part of what we need to do as well, just to help these kids adjust to life when they get out. So I don't see what I do as just coaching golf as much as it is like literally helping prepare these kids for life. Once they graduate, once they move on, they're all going to need to have a job at some point, even if it is playing golf. So you know, I take a lot of pride in what my kids do once they leave here.
0: I bet. I bet. it sounds like you cherish that space with these kids. It's you're opening my eyes to it, Kelly. It's not just about the game. It's not just about those fundamentals. It's not about just competing, but it's about becoming an adult in so many ways. <sighs> <It's a> transformational <laughs> process of becoming an adult it must be amazing to witness and be part of that. Well, That's,
1: to me, it's what's, I mean, it, obviously I want to win and I want to be successful and I sure. want i want my kids to play well. But at the end of the day, if they play great and win national championships, but they can't function in society, I'm not sure that I've done my job.
0: Yeah. 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 You would feel failure in that. I'm like, I get it. That's really cool. I often ask leaders for their advice. Part of the mission here is to really demystify leadership in a way We have folks that are in leadership positions with lots of experience that tune in. And we've got folks that are aspiring to be leaders or maybe they're just kind of accidentally tuning in because they're curious about leadership. And I think this piece of what advice would you give any leader, wherever they are in their maturity continuum, what would you share has been important or led to your success as a leader and a coach?
1: Well, I would say that One of the things that I try to encourage like my assistants to do or young people that are getting into coaching or Mm -hmm. is to meet kids where they are. I think a lot of times we feel like our job is to fix them, you know, or make them the way that we want them. But at the end of the day, that's really not our job. I feel like if I can meet a person where they are and then help guide them to where I feel like they need to go, then that's a very different process than it's not hard to get frustrated with people when they don't do things the way that we would like for them to do them. But I think there's a lot of different ways to help them improve and to get there. And so to meet them where they are and walk with them through the journey is very different than, hey, <laughs> this is broken and I'm going to fix it and then everything's going to be fine. Right. Um, and if anything, I've learned through this process of all of these different families is that there's no perfect family there's no perfect people. We're all a little off. Mm -hmm. And so if we can work together to get to where we need to go, then that's when championships happen. And that's when I think people really enjoy the process of what they're doing, not just, hey, we're only good at this if we win. It's like, wow, look how far we've come. And it's actually been an enjoyable process. Like if there's not joy in what you're doing, then even if you win, I don't think it's a
0: success. Beautiful. What else? What other advice would you give our listeners our um, leaders that are out there?
1: Well, I think the other piece is that I, I do think we have, for some reason, tried to prepare the path for the child rather than the child for the path. And as a parent, I can say that I have a 14-year-old daughter and, yes. I, and I catch myself wanting to make things easier for her, you know, because when our kids fail, it makes us feel bad. And you know, it's just better if everybody's good. But at the end of the day, my mom used to say this all the time. My sister and I would get in an argument and she one of us would say, well, that's not fair. And she'd say, well, life's not fair. And I think 2020 has been a big slap in the face of life is not fair. Yeah. And at the end of the day, we need to quit expecting it to be fair. And when stuff happens, it's okay to ask, you know, why did this happen for a little bit? But at some point we have to say what's next. And I'm constantly trying to encourage my kids to look at a situation. And instead of saying, why did this happen? And how can I avoid this? It's like, okay, this happened. Now what's next? Like, what do I need to learn from it? Where do I need to go from here? What's next? And so probably that combination of life's not fair. And when it's not fair, then what's
0: next. Nice. nice, Beautiful. Uh, These are leadership philosophies. I think they're life philosophies. Awesome. Awesome, Kelly. Leave our listeners with your main drive, your main motivation. If there's like one thing that gets you up in the morning, I know that's a corny way of putting it, but one thing that gets you up in the morning, what is it?
1: I would say that what really drives me is helping people become the best version of themselves. Yeah. Whether it's um, on the golf course, in the classroom, you know, with their teammates, That's what I enjoy doing, helping people with, guiding them with. It happens to also come with numbers that equal scores on the golf course at times. But but when you can see people do things that they didn't think they were capable of, Mm -hmm. we call it peak performance in sport. When you're able to help kids do that, help them see it and then do it.
0: Yes. um,
1: I mean, to me, that's what coaching is about.
0: Kelly, thank you for all the great work you're doing. Thank you for your time and energy today. Really appreciated this conversation. Thank you so much.
1: My pleasure, thank you for having me.
0: Listen for more episodes of Driving Leadership right here on the Get Emergent Podcast where we'll continue the conversations with new leaders every month. And come back for more leadership content with Cindy Massingill and Ralph Simone where they discuss real leadership challenges in a practical and relatable format.